Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we confess together that you are worthy of our praise and adoration in every regard. You are almighty God, and you are wonderful. And so, Lord, we pray that as we turn now to your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit who is in this place, you would take your word and you would put it down deep in each of us. For, Lord, you meet us right where we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. You take us to where you want us to be. And so, Lord, our prayer now is, Lord, that through your word and by your spirit, you would transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we step out of this experience and back into the world, that we're more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine a dad, and Father's Day is approaching. And this particular dad has all sorts of kids, you know, one of those big, big families. And And the kids love their dad. They all love him. And they want to make Father's Day so special for him. So what do they do? Each of them individually, using the the, the personality and the gifts and the talents and abilities and resources that, that came through their father to them, they want to give him an amazing gift. One of the kids loves to travel. And so they want to get tickets for dad to Hawaii. They want to make sure he can go and enjoy one of the beautiful, most beautiful sights on the earth and, and really, really have a time of rest and refreshing. Another kid loves baseball. And so he goes and, and finds a way to get dad tickets to a game in his favorite ballpark where he's going to be in the best seats and he's going to be able to see uh, everything he would want to see and enjoy just the, the sights and the sounds and even the smells of the ball game. Another kid is gifted in photography. And so she uses her God-given abilities to craft a beautiful photograph for her dad, one of his favorite places, so that he can always have it there with him. Another loves to plan parties. And so for her dad, she pulls together all sorts of people, people from his his past and his present, just to, to gather around him and celebrate him because she loves her dad so much. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one of these gifts is the dad going to enjoy the most? Well, if he's a good dad, he's going to enjoy all of them. Why? Because they are coming from the heart of his kids, and they're all different. And really, the only thing that I think would grieve the dad's heart is if the kids started fighting with each other about the gifts they were gonna give. Well, I think it's ridiculous that you're taking pictures. Who cares about a picture? I'm sending him somewhere. Well, he doesn't care anything about volcanoes. You ought to, my gift's better. Well, you know, I'm taking him to the ball field, and you know he loves the ball field, and we spend all this time. You know what that would do? That would taint all the gifts, wouldn't it? Because all of a sudden, the gift giving was less about dad and more about the kids. More about the kids just fighting with each other because they thought their way of honoring their father was the best. I've, I've been in church for a long time now. And probably over the last 30 years, I've paid attention to what have been called worship wars. You know what those are. Because when we get around church people and we start talking about worship, that's where we immediately go into church language and we start using words like contemporary and traditional and anthems and shape notes and music and hymnals and screens and all those things. And what do we start doing? We start bickering, don't we? 
Well, my gift to our Heavenly Father will be better because He likes it better this way. But did you know that the Bible tells us what God is concerned about when it comes to our worship? John chapter 4. Jesus tells the woman at the well in Samaria that the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. That's the sort of worship the Father desires. Spirit, it comes from the deepest parts of who we are. It's the psalmist who says, deep calls out to deep, that that my deep calls out to God's deep, recognizing that God is spirit, and He he has given me a spirit, and, and He wants my spiritual worship. He doesn't want worship that is flippant or forged or even some sort of facade for others to see. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for how your particular worship compares to somebody else's particular worship. He wants your deep to call out to his deep. And and, and you know what I think grieves his heart? You know, obviously we do it a certain way here, and other churches even in our city do it a certain different way, and churches all around the globe do it in a different way, and they do it in different languages with different instrumentation and different vocal stylings and, and all sorts of things. And you know, what, you know what God says He's concerned about? The heart of it. And I think the only thing that breaks His heart is when His kids start bickering over which gift is the best. Because what does that do? Well, all of a sudden, it detracts from the joy that he receives as the kids give the gifts. He also wants us to worship in truth. What does that mean? Well, God has revealed himself in several ways. Romans tells us he's revealed himself in creation. And all of us, I I think, have been next to the ocean or next to the Grand Canyon or looking over at a mountain or having one of those moments where we're just in awe and we we just explode in praise. Thank you, God, for this. That's, that's, that's part of why he created creation, so that we would look to him and see his grandeur and majesty. Just this week, I was, I was hearing somebody talk about just the vastness of the universe. And it's so incredibly vast. We can't wrap our minds around it. And our God created all that. And you know how hard he had to work? He spoke it into existence. And so we praise him for he is worthy. But more specifically, he has revealed himself in the Bible. And so we worship according to his self-revelation in the Bible. It grieves his heart when we worship him not according to his self-revelation in the Bible, for he calls us to worship in truth, and his word is truth. I was a part of a worship service one time where somebody sang a song to Mother God. That doesn't honor God because he has revealed himself as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we must worship in spirit, and we must worship in truth, worshiping him according to to who he has revealed himself to be. And he has revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we worship him. And you know, we all do it different. And different churches do it different. And you know what's beautiful about that? It's almost as if our God, who made us different, designed us that way. We would do it different. And as long as it's in spirit and as long as it's in truth, then it's pleasing to his heart. And I think the only thing that breaks his heart is when we start bickering with each other about it. Just like a dad who just wants his kids to express their love to him on Father's Day. Yeah, he'll enjoy Hawaii. He'll enjoy the ball game. He'll love looking at that picture every time he glances over at it. But what he loves the most is the heart. 
Well, today, I believe God's going to show us an expression of worship that reveals the heart of that worship in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I want to invite you to turn with me there. We're going, uh, if you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, to page 1030. 1030. And I want to give you this theme. My faith will grow as I worship day by day. My faith will grow as I worship day by day. We are going to the throne room of heaven. We are going to the throne room of heaven, and we're going to see a glimpse of what happens there. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be worshipful. And we're going to see hearts full of love and adoration for Almighty God pour that love and adoration out. And we're going to see Him honored. So, Revelation, beginning with chapter 4, verse 1, John the Apostle writes these things as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Our first point today is this, worship in awe of God. Worship in awe of God. This isn't the first place in the Bible where we see a picture of the throne room of heaven. We see in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord. And let me just recount to you what Isaiah said. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw a majestic display of the holiness and grandeur of Almighty God. And his response was, woe is me. He is so perfect. He is so holy. And I am so not. I am undone. And we see that God extends his mercy to Isaiah and Isaiah receives it. Ezekiel beheld the glory of, the God, of Almighty God when he was in Babylon. He tells the story in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him 
Like the appearance, the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. So Ezekiel saw this vision of, of the glory of God in the throne room of heaven, and, and he was so humbled that he fell on his face before him. John is going to later in the Revelation after he's seen all the unfolding of all this glory of Almighty God, he's going to fall and start to worship the angel who showed it to him. And the angel said, don't do that. Get up. Worship God. I am, I am a fellow worshiper with you. Don't worship me. Let's worship God together. But there's this awe in the presence of Almighty God. Our proper response to seeing God is awe. That's why I say, you know, and I've said this myself, oh, when I get to heaven, I've got some questions for the Lord. No, I don't. I'm going to be just like Isaiah. I'm going to be just like Ezekiel. I'm going to be just like John. I'm going to get there in the presence of Almighty God, and I'm going to be so overcome with His amazing awesomeness that I will just simply be in awe of Him. And so will you. Let's see how the scene continues to unfold. Second half of verse 6. And around the throat, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Our second point today. Worship in unison with heaven. Worship in unison with heaven. I love the fact that we sang holy, holy, holy today. Because right here in this service, did you know what we did? We joined in a chorus that's already ongoing as we repeated what is called the Trishagion, three holies. In the language of the day, they did not have good, better, best. They had good, 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 good. So, Tris Hagion, holy, holy, holy. It is, the, it is the ultimate of all holiness, set apart, distinct, uncommon. God is holy. And today, in this room, we joined our voices in that ongoing chorus. We are worshiping in unison with heaven. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Listen to this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So think about what just happened during the singing portion and what is happening now during the word portion. We are joining together with heaven, and we are proclaiming the wonder and worthiness of Almighty God. We joined in the very chorus that they're singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, I will sing to you. Because I'm joining a chorus of those who've come before, the angels and the saints who have now been made perfect in glory. We won't do that one day. We did that today. We're doing that now. The Bible says so. 
And so there's this mystery that happens in worship where we, we transcend time and space. We transcend this earth and we join in the heavenly chorus, worshiping in unison with heaven. Nancy Crone, who sings in our choir, and will be leading worship tonight at Vespers, I think. Where are you, Nancy? Somewhere else. Anyway, uh, she said, even nature praises our Lord. How marvelous that as we worship in song, our voices blend with the angels and the music of the spheres in a circle of praise going around the globe to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The book of Revelation says that all in heaven will join in singing with the angels and giving praise to the Lamb of God. We will sing that only Jesus, the King of kings, is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. It's difficult to imagine how glorious that heavenly choir will be. And if you're in Christ, you're going to be a part of that chorus, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be unbelievable, like nothing we've ever heard before in our lives, all united in heart, pouring out our worship to God. Verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to thanks to him and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Our third point, worship in humility before God. Worship in humility before God. When we consider the amazing nature of who God is, when we consider His vastness, when we consider His holiness, there's only one proper response. It's the same response that Isaiah had, that Ezekiel had, that John had, that we're called to have, and that is humility before Almighty God. Notice that the 24 elders take the crowns off of their heads, and what do they do? They cast them before the Lord, saying, whatever this crown signifies, it is not as great and glorious as you. I humble myself before you, God. My crown is irrelevant. You are glorious. That's going on in glory, even now. And you know what? No matter how big a boy or girl you or I think we are, when we get before Almighty God, we too will cast our crowns before Him, for He is worthy and He is glorious. Ricky Clark, our minister of music, said to worship the Lord is to have a deep sense of humility before Him, to realize how vast is His power and how limited is our own to consider how limitless is his love and how undeserving we are to be recipients of it, to grasp the price he paid for our redemption and how blessed we are to be part of his story. In worship, we stand in awe of who he is, the creator and master of all, and yet we speak to him as sons and daughters to their father. In worship, we experience that unique intimacy that God provides for his children when he draws us to himself. I love that. Not only are we responding in humility to our vast and amazing God, but we're coming to Him through Jesus Christ as His children, crawling up in His lap and knowing that we are safe there. Worship without humility is not worship. I'll be that bold. If there's no humility in the expression of worship, it's not worship. It's about self-exaltation. 
And there is no self-exaltation that is God's exaltation. No, we, we leave our own glory, casting it before Him to say, no, Lord, You are glorious. So we worship in humility. Now, I want you to hear all of chapter 5. It's just phenomenal to me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. In glory. Now. Worship is happening. And you may think that worship is just the singing portion of a service, but it's really not. That's certainly a huge part of it. But worship is what happens as we live our lives. We're called to live our lives in a way that worships God in every moment. Kendall White, who's grown up here, you'll see her singing often. Um, she's getting ready to be a softball player at Western Kentucky University. We're so proud of her and can't wait to cheer her on. But she said this. I asked her for her perspective on worship, and she said, as a believer in Christ, Faith has always been important to me, but as a teenager, it's not always been easy. I've been faced with many situations where I've had to make difficult choices. I've tried to stay true to myself by using worship and prayer as an outlet to witness for others. Every Sunday that I attend church, I always seem to find the message to be relatable to what's going on in my life at the time. The Lord has given me opportunities to use my gifts to fulfill my dreams. When I'm asked to sing, I sing because I can connect with the Lord through the lyrics and my voice. I'm able to spread the Word of God to the church through my voice. When I'm on the softball field, I'm able to share the Word through my actions. During the last year, my life and opportunities for my future as a collegiate athlete were guided by my faith. So many times I worried that my career wouldn't go as I had planned. In the end, 
I had to fully rely on God's plan. The importance of worship is something that I am passionate about, and I feel blessed to be able to show and share my faith through worship and prayer and song and on the softball field. You know, Kendall's been given that ability to play softball and to sing. I've been given neither of those abilities. But you know what God's given me? Something. You know what he's given you? Something. You know what he wants us to do? To use the something that he's giving, he has given to us in the power of his Holy Spirit to live lives that join in the chorus of heaven in every moment. Certainly on Sunday morning, between the hours of 11 and 12, certainly at different times throughout the week, but really all week long. Because every time we do that, you know what we're doing? We're giving a gift to our Heavenly Father. We're saying, Lord, you're worthy. And I'm going to use what you've given me, what I delight in. I'm going to pour it out to you because you're worthy. Just like kids trying to give dad a good gift on Father's Day, sometimes we're tempted, all of us, all of us are tempted to bicker about whose gift is better. And I think out of all of it, as long as the worship is in spirit and in truth, the only thing that grieves the heart of God is when we bicker about who's better. But no, as we join together with that heavenly chorus, with the saints who've gone before us, the angels who are there, and we proclaim the worthiness of our God, something amazing happens, something mysterious happens. For we are joining in a chorus that will continue forevermore. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.